all good stories begin in exactly the same way. A long, long time ago. But I won't start like that today. Because this story begins when even time didn't exist. You know why? Because this is a story about death, mortality. We measure time simply because we are bound by death. If we were immortal, if it took something five minutes or 5,000 years, it wouldn't matter. There would be no deadlines or missed opportunities out there. So time and death are intimately related. So to explore death, why should we explore death? Well, wait, I'll tell you why. But to explore death, we have to go back before there was time. Before there was time, before there was space, before there were men, women, stars, sun, plants and planets, animals and galaxies. There was only a great ocean of milk. And suddenly, in this infinite and eternal ocean, there appeared spontaneously a beautiful baby. A beautiful boy. The boy was sucking on his toe like only babies can do. Its eyes were as wide as lotus leaves. And on its ruby red lips was spread a smile of such great bliss that it could only be Satchidanandam, ever existing, ever new bliss. This was the baby Vishnu. His radiance obliterated the darkness around him. And from his navel spontaneously came the great cosmic lotus, the Padma. And on this lotus sat an impossibly ancient being. He had long white beard, four faces and four arms. And everybody, when they first come into being, whether it is you or I or this impossibly ancient being, what do we do? We exhale. So this being exhaled. And that exhalation became the great sound of Om, because this was the creator, Brahma. And from the vibration of Om, there came time, there came space, and from the vibration of Om came galaxies and stars and sun, planets, plants, animals, and men and women. Creation had begun by the Om sound of the creator, Brahma. Early on in creation, people lived forever. There was no death. As a result, the earth became congested, crowded, and people suffered. Why? Because they were evil. Death is once what keeps us accountable. And if not, doesn't matter what you do. You don't have to answer to anybody. So to restore harmony, Brahma created the god of death. His name was Yama. So the god of death knelt before the creator Brahma. Now, when you do career planning, I don't know if you've thought about being the god of death. I've thought about it very deeply. Nobody's offered me the job, but just in case, I've thought about it. And I'll share my insights with you in case you get offered the job. Now first, it's the ultimate power trip. You are the queen or king of all that you survey. God of death comes, no peep out of anybody. 
that through. Now, that's an obvious benefit. There is a non-obvious benefit. You know what that is? Being the god of death has the best health insurance plan in the entire universe. <laughs> Why? The moment you sign on the dotted line accepting the job, by definition, you cannot die. How's that for a health insurance plan? Oh, this is good. So Yama, kneeling before the creator, he thought through all of this. And he said, Lord, I appreciate your confidence in me, but I can't do the job. Because this requires an insane amount of precision. I have to take people's lives at the exact second, a second before, a second after, the creation is in trouble. But that's okay, I can deal with it. That's just fancy accounting. But I got a bigger problem. Nobody in your entire creation, nobody wants to die. So every time I go to take somebody's life, it is literally a battle unto death. That is too difficult. I'm not set up for success. Sorry, I won't take the job. Now Brahma says, no, no, no. Yama, don't worry. I've thought about this. I've created a number of assistants for you. I've created flood, famine, thunderstorms, tropical storms, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes. Those are your lesser assistants. Now the greater ones, I've created frailty, old age, disease. They'll do the job for you. But also, I'm your most powerful assistant by far is the fear of death. I have infused all living beings with the fear of death. When they are young, everybody looks only to the future. They have all choices, infinite aspirations. But as they grow older, they begin to think about when they are going to die. They look back and think about all the things they could have done and they regret the past. And when they look at the future at all, they look at it and say, how am I going to die? Is it going to be long? Will I suffer? Will I be dependent? Will people remember me after I die? So by living in the, regretting the past and worrying about the future, they fail to live in the present moment. This will sap their enthusiasm. This will take away their vitality. And therefore, by the time you go, I guarantee it, people will be begging you to take them. <laughs> Don't worry. Yama said, okay, Lord, I'm with you. I'll do the job. And so it was. The God of mortality came into an immortal universe. But the all-compassionate God doesn't leave his children suffering like that, will he? So he gave us a way out. He gave us a way to uplift ourselves from the consciousness of mortality. It's very simple. It doesn't need complicated technique or great philosophy. What does it involve? Bear with me, I'll tell you. But I'll give you a hint. It involves a cucumber. That's right, a vegetable. It involves a cucumber. At the nexus between time and death is a cucumber. Why? Listen. So, in these ancient times, there was a hermitage in a forest. Now, this was more than a single dwelling. These were called ashrams. I think of them as universities or schools. And these were headed 
by people of great spiritual attainment. They were called Rishis, R-I-S-H-I, Rishi. Now, one such ashram in this hermitage, it was run by a very pious couple. They spent their time taking charge of the young minds that came to them. They taught them scripture, they taught, they taught them ways to behave, how to serve, how to be humble, and so on. And they spent their time in deep inner meditation, singing the names of God, and in serving other people. It was an idyllic life. However, their hearts were heavy with sorrow, sadness. Why? Because they had no children. Now, the wife was a very pious and wise woman. She tells the husband, the husband's name is Mrikandu. Remember that name. So Mrikandu, uh, she tells him, it is said that the creator Brahma is busy with creation. The great god Vishnu, he is very hard to please. However, Lord Shiva, the master of the universe, they say that even though he is the master of the entire universe, he is a servant of his devotees. His heart is so soft that when the devotee cries out to him in anguish, he comes down immediately and grants their wish. Pray to Shiva, please him, propitiate him, and he will certainly grant our one wish. So Mrikandu goes to a secluded corner of the ashram, sits under a big tree, closes his eyes. He was a man of great spiritual accomplishment, so as soon as he closed his eyes, he went inward. His ears didn't hear the sound of the forest anymore. The chirping of the birds and the rustling of the leaves, they were all shut out. His nose didn't smell the jasmine and the fragrant trees and all the other smells of the forest. Flies and mosquitoes were landing on his skin. His skin didn't feel them. As his outer eyes shut and the inner eye opened, he began to visualize the form of Shiva, who is also known as Mahadeva, the great god, Maheshwara, the great lord of everything. So he visualized the form. How is Shiva? He is deep indigo blue in color. He's clad in a tiger skin. You don't know whether he's as big as a mountain or as big as the universe itself. And around his neck is a great snake coiled three and one half times. Its forked tongue dripping venom. His great matted hair is tied up in a bun and on that bun to the side like a hair clip is the orb of the moon shining with ethereal light as if reflecting the piercing light of wisdom that comes out of his two eyes. He also has a third eye on his forehead which is closed but pulsing with the creative power of the entire universe. Now from the very top of his head comes a cooling stream of the celestial river Ganga, Ganges. She gathers at the feet of, of Shiva as if washing the great Lord's feet, thereby sanctifying herself. Mrikandu, the more he goes inward, he visualizes the form of Shiva. He no longer knows whether Shiva is outside or inside. His heart is filled with such contentment, as if his every past desire and future desire were already satisfied in an instant. 
shaking in awe at the form of the great god. With love, gratitude, he falls at the feet of Shiva. And Shiva says, what is your desire, my son? And Rikandu says, Lord, we desire a child. And Shiva says, Tathastu means so be it. But, there is always a but. Shiva says, you have a choice to make. You will either have a child who will live a long life, but will be of bad character. Or you can have a child who will have exemplary character, but will die at the age of 16. Now, what would you choose? Which parent doesn't want their child to live long? Which parent wants a child of bad character? Rikandu was unselfish, a man of great wisdom. Without hesitation, he says, Lord Mahadeva, a child of bad character will only cause suffering to everybody, including itself and to its parents. Whereas a child of great character will be remembered for generations. So, Lord, give me a child of great character. So be it. Shiva vanishes into the depths of infinity from whence he came, leaving behind simply a fragrance of divine presence. And at an appropriate time, his wife got pregnant. Day after day, it was a joyful pregnancy for her. Day after day, her womb, where the child, the blessed child of uh, the gift of Shiva, as it grew, the wife was filled with joy and love. And after nine months, she was delivered of a beautiful boy. His name was Markandeya. Up in the heavens, beyond the realm of the heavens, Yama, the god of death, created a new entry in his account book. It said, Markandeya, 16 years. Now Markandeya began to grow. He flipped over on his belly and he crawled on all, he came on all fours and crawled in that beautiful way that babies do. Hard to catch, they create chaos, but you are delighted in it anyway. He began to speak. More accurately, he began to misspeak. And his mispronounced words became terms of endearment that only parents and children know and carry for the rest of their lives, isn't it? Then he began to take his first steps, missteps. And the parents delighted in this great gift that they have received. Astrologers came and they looked at his horoscope. They were awestruck. What a horoscope it was. The moon and the exalted Jupiter were in, were in the first house, indicating extraordinary wisdom and knowledge. The position of the exalted Mars was such that he would have determination and the will to accomplish anything he set out his mind to. And they said, for as long as the sun and moon exist, the name of Markandeya will be remembered. Up in the heavens, the god of death updated his account book. Fifteen years left. Markandeya continued to grow. He was a precocious child. And like all boys, he was naughty. He created chaos wherever he went. But he was still the darling of the ashram. But it was also obvious that he was no ordinary child. Yes, he did play with, uh, his, uh, with other boys of his age, and he did naughty, unspeakable, dirty things every now and then. And 
the parents still loved it, but he was also spending more and more time by himself as if contemplating a truth that was visible only to him. Then he grew. It was time for him to go to an ashram, become a student. Now the transition, this is an important transition. What happens is, the idea is that until then you are a young child. You are indulged by your parents. And after that, once you become a student, you are you're reborn. It's called dvija. Dvi means two. You're reborn into the life of austerity, discipline, uh, study, serving, and humility. So before that, symbolically, the mother feeds this boy one last time. She, she sits him on his lap and she caresses his hair, feeds him with her own hands. And she says, eat more. Do you want that? Why aren't you eating much? You'll become thin at this rate. Oh, something's running down your lips. Let me wipe it. And so she feeds him like he, he was and he is a child. And then Markandeya gets up, transitions to the lap of his guru, his teacher, the head of a different ashram. And the guru whispers in his right ear the great Gayatri mantra, the mantra of enlightenment, thus initiating him into the life of a Dvija, twice-born student. And Markandeya leaves his parents' indulgent embrace and goes to the new ashram. And there, to the surprise of absolutely no one, he becomes an extraordinary student. His powers of perception and recollection are incredible. He's brilliant. He's humble. He serves his guru with all his heart. But what stands out was the fact that he seems to feel the truth, not just know the truth. Because you see, at the nexus of knowing and feeling is wisdom, is there not? So the wisdom of Markandeya was obvious to everybody. He makes rapid progress. And the guru is ready to teach him some advanced topics. The most advanced of all topics, what is it? It's not particle physics or string theory or no, nothing like that. The most advanced of all topics was the secret of Om, the cosmic vibration. So the guru sits down, Markandeya sits down, all the other students sit down, and the guru chants, Om. The students chant, Om. Markandeya doesn't. Why are you not chanting, the guru asks. Sir, if you explain to me the meaning of it, I'm going to chant. The guru thinks that's the whole point of this class. But, you know, he knows that he's an amazing student. So he explains the meaning of Om in three sentences. This is from a very ancient Upanishad called Mandukya Upanishad, the very first verse in there. He says, Everything that was created was made by Om. What has been, what is being, and what is about to be is made by Om. And that which has never been and is not being and will never be is also made by Om. This is the description. I hope you got it. I didn't. But Markandeya did. And then the Guru says, the power behind Om is the great God Shiva from whose blessing you were born. And then they sit down. Om. 
the Guru chants, Markandeya chants too, and his body becomes as still as a rock. Guru knows something special is happening, so he dismisses all the other students. And then they sit for five minutes, turns to ten, becomes an hour, two hours, unmoving, Markandeya sits. And finally, there's, there's a sense of ineffable peace and contentment in the entire area. Finally, almost reluctantly, the Guru goes, shakes Markandeya, and says, what were you doing, Markandeya? And he says, Guru Deva, I chanted Om, and as the final sounds died away, I, begin, I began to hear the sound of Om within myself. It was much, much louder. It was a deluge of sound that came from all parts of my body. I immersed myself in that sound, and I was able to go beyond the sound. And in my heart materialized a lingam, a lingam, is a cylindrical object with a wide circular base, which is a representation of our spine through which the creative energies flow upward. It is a symbol of Shiva. He said, I saw his lingam, not made of stone, but made of light. It, light means jyoti. This is a jyotir lingam. I saw a lingam of light, and it gave me such extraordinary joy that I was worshipping it, and then you woke me up. And the guru looks at him and says, Markandeya, I have nothing else to teach you. Go back to your ashram, take your side by your parents and begin to assist them. And soon you two will marry and you will have children of your own continuing the cycle of life. Up in the heavens, the god of death made an entry in his cosmic account book. One year left. Markandeya goes back, and soon he is the center of ashram life. His parents joyfully welcome him. He, they, they embrace him, and he, he's so compassionate, so considerate, and he's so full of wisdom that anytime anybody has any question or any problem, the refrain becomes, ask Markandeya, and he gives them the exact thing that they were looking for. Idyllic months go by like this, and the ashram is rejuvenated by the extraordinary presence of this man-child, Markandeya. And one day, Markandeya comes back, he has gathered flowers for the evening puja, and he sees his mother weeping uncontrollably. And he goes to her, and he asks her, Mother, what is wrong? He's always considerate. Who says, did I do something? He looks up at his father, and his father is standing frozen, his shoulders shaking in silent sorrow, hot tears coming down his face. And tearfully, the parents tell them, tell Markandeya his birth story. And they say, Markandeya, you're not long for this earth. For a moment, Markandeya's body becomes rigid as he tries to digest this news. An expression like a thunderstorm comes over his countenance. It is as if he's gazing into the face of eternity and powerful force shakes his body. And then as soon as it began, he comes back into serenity and he says, 
I was born with the blessing of Lord Shiva. He is going to show me a way out of it. Up in the heavens, Yama, the god of death, updates his account book. It says, one month left. Now, Mrikandu is a very wise man, spiritually accomplished. He says, my son, nobody has been able to overcome death. Time and death come to everybody. However, I have heard that the God of gods, right at the beginning of creation, when he created death, he also created a way out. That way out is known as the Maha Mrityunjaya Mantra. Maha means great, Mrityu means death, Jaya means victory. The great mantra of victory over death, or in other words, the great mantra of liberation. I don't quite understand the mantra, says Mrikandu, but I'm going to initiate you into it. Use this and seek the blessing of Lord Shiva so you can overcome death. And so he begins to chant, Markandeya joining in, says, Om Triambhakam Yajamahe Sugandhim Pushtivardhanam Urvarukamiva Bandhanat Mrityor Mokshi Yamamritat Swaha. They chant this great mantra. Markandeya feels its power. He understands the meaning. What it's saying, literally translated, is, O three-eyed Lord, three-eyed is referring to Shiva, who spreads his divine fragrance and who makes everything more nutritious. He knows it's referring somehow to health. But the second part confuses him. It says, just as a cucumber, when it ripens, falls down from the vine, the creeper from which it came, in the same way, free me from the shackles of death. What does a cucumber have to do with it? Markandeya wonders. Everything else makes total sense. Cucumber? Nonetheless, he's got a month left. A man with a mission. So next day, to the tearful farewell of his parents and the entire ashram, Markandeya goes deeper into the forest. And he walks until he finds a beautiful grove which is vibrating with life. And in that grove, it, it, it's filled with uh, flowering trees and bushes and trees pregnant with fruit. And there is a babbling river nearby. So in this place that is filled with life, Markandeya sets out to overcome death. And he goes, cleanses himself in the river. And once he cleansed himself, he sits in full lotus Padmasana and makes a Shiva Lingam. He, with his own hands, he makes it. And then he sits down, begins to chant Om. And as soon as he chants Om, he goes inside the inner sound of Om, arises in him. He immerses himself into this cosmic sound and the Lingam of light, the Jyotir Lingam comes in his heart. And sitting in front of the Lingam, he begins to chant the Mahamrityunjaya Mantra. Om Triambakam Yajamahe, he goes on, which is all fine. And Urvarukamiva Bandhanat, that's the cucumber part. What does it mean? Mrityor Mokshi Yamamritat Swaha. Free me from the shackles of death. Makes perfect sense. 
keeps going on and on. The entire day, Triambakam Yajamahe Urvarukamiva Bandhanat, he keeps going. He begins to feel the power of the mantra. And he begins to understand its meaning. Cucumber doesn't get it. He goes back into his simple ashram, lies down, comes back the next day, keeps doing the same thing. He's beginning to, it feels like he's, he's cracking open the secret of the Mahamrityanjaya mantra, but still he doesn't get it. And then one day he goes down at the end of his, uh, uh, his prayers and he goes to bathe in the river. And in the river, in the setting sun, he catches a reflection of himself. And he sees his vibrant body aglow with health and vitality. Those muscles that are a result of great austerities performed over many, many years. And the eyes full of aspiration. And he sees it. And then he's, he's, he's very grateful that he's possessed of such a wonderful instrument. And then he goes back to his ashram, sleeps in his, uh, his little dwelling, sleeps on the straw mat. At 2 a.m., somewhere thereabouts, in the darkest part of the night when everything is still, up in the heavens, the god of death updates his account book. Nine days left. And suddenly, Markandeya wakes up. There's a knot of anxiety and fear in his stomach. He's shivering with fear. He imagines that beautiful body that he saw reflected in the stream. Very soon, it is going to shrivel up and die like an oak in the forest. He cannot bear this thought. He looks back and says, maybe I should have started my practices sooner. He blames his parents. Maybe they should have told me sooner. Why did they wait for so long? How will death come and get me? He thinks it's not that far away. Is it going to be quick? The rest of his night is spent in a stupor of restlessness, fear, regrets and worries. And next day, he gets up, goes in front of his lingam, tries to sit in a cross-legged pose. His body is weak. He's unable to maintain the pose. Where he could concentrate for days on end, he's, his mind is now flitting like a hummingbird from thought to thought. Then he tries his best to say the Om and tries to hear the inner sounds. But his body gets weaker, his mind gets more restless. When he tells the Mahamrityan Jaya Mantra to himself, he simply cannot focus on it. Day after day, Markandeya tries. He gets weaker, his joints begin to ache. He's unable to sleep well, he's racked by fear and anxiety. And then... The God of Death updates his account book. One day left. 24 hours from now will be Markandeya's 16th birthday. On that day, Markandeya gets up and he says, I will either die trying or I'll know the secret of this great mantra. I will not yield to this weakness of the heart. So he goes, sits down. It's very, very hard. He's fearful, but it's only 24 hours away. Imagine, you have a death sentence, 24 hours away, and what are you being asked to do? Well, sit and chant something that makes no sense. Just imagine that. But remember his horoscope. 
the exalted position of Mars, such is his extraordinary determination, that he sits down, pushes all those thoughts aside, and begins to chant Om. Finally, he hears the redeeming sound inside. He goes in, the lingam of light emerges, and then he begins to chant, Urvarukamiva Bandhanat. He says, a mantra is composed of sounds which open the heart, just like chanting does. And it has a meaning which involves the brain. But tying the heart and the brain together is the cadence. Urvarukamiva Bandhanat, Mrityor Mokshi Yamamritat Swaha. And this cadence repeated again and again and again brings the heart and the brain together and one begins to feel, not just know, not just understand, but begins to feel the meaning. Slowly it begins to happen. Markandeya recalls that day when he looked at himself in the flowing stream, when he saw his body and he says, that was the day. My consciousness attached itself to the body, just like a cucumber is firmly attached to the vine because that's where it thinks it belongs. But a ripened consciousness automatically rises beyond the body, just like a ripened cucumber falls down. Urva rukamiva bandhanat, just like a ripened cucumber loses its attachment to the vine from whence it came. He understands this. He knows it, he feels it, and the moment he feels it, the moment his consciousness rises up from the body, the electricity of life flows through his bones, muscles, nerves, and organs, and instantly he is rejuvenated. He sits up straighter, and with every breath he feels the power of Lord Shiva. He is filled with so much strength, so much joy. Even as the moment of death approaches, he hugs the lingam with both hands and begins to chant, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. I bow to the great God Shiva. Not because he wants anything, but simply out of pure joy. Up in the heavens, Yama, the God of death, updates his account book. It says, time is up. And instantly, Yama materializes in front of Markandeya. He's sitting on a black buffalo. His skin is the color of dirty blood, bluish red. Imagine that for a moment. And his eyes are the color of glowing embers, a red that is darkened by the blackness of coal beneath. In his hands, he's brandishing, holding, a noose, the god of death, what is the noose that he holds? The noose of time. So Yama, the god of death on his black buffalo, holds the noose, noose of time. And he says in a harsh voice, he says, Boy, leave the lingam. Come over here. Your time has come. Markandeya, who is chanting Om Namah Shivaya, looks up says, Who are you? <laughs> Yama is stunned for a moment. And he begins to clap his hands, slow clap. He says, bravo, what a devotee you are of Shiva. I am the creator of all fear. All beings, gods themselves, quake when I show up. 
And here you are asking, who am I? Bravo, what a devotee you are. But come here, boy, your time is up. Now Markandeya says something unthinkable. You know what he says? He says, just wait for a minute. I'm, I haven't finished my puja. Yama, this is unfamiliar situation to Yama. He says, uh, he, he stutters. I am the Lord of time. You are asking me to wait. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Om Namah Shivaya. Markandeya continues. Om Namah Shivaya. Yama says, meet your destiny. Leave the lingam. Om Namah Shivaya. He continues. Come embrace death. When the God of death comes, nobody can resist me. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Markandeya continues. And the entire forest fills with this divine chant. Come here, boy, Yama says, leave the lingam. With a deft flick of his powerful wrist, Yama tosses the noose of time and it flies unerringly and binds Markandeya's throat. And Yama pulls. When the god of death pulls on the noose of time, which mortal can possibly resist? Markandeya is hugging the lingam, chanting Om Namah Shivaya. And when Yama pulls, Markandeya is lifted off his feet. But then the unthinkable happens. The lingam of Shiva also stirred. It moves a little bit. High up in Kailas, where Lord Shiva is in eternal meditation, he feels his body shake a little bit. Anger. He opens his eyes. Who dares disturb me? And he emerges from the center of the lingam that Markandeya is holding on to. Shiva, the Lord of Destruction, who at the end of time, at the end of universe, with the dance of death, reabsorbs the entire creation back into his form. He bangs his trident down on the earth three times, causing volcanic eruptions and earthquakes. And with his great leg, he kicks Yama's chest with his toe. And Yama falls 
down to the earth and the noose of time goes flying off of Markandeya's neck. And Shiva's anger is unbearable. It's as if the entire universe is going to burn from the blazing light coming from his third eye. Markandeya continues to chant, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. Hearing the devotees chant, Shiva's anger calms down in an instant. He lifts Markandeya, embraces him. Markandeya, who was supposed to die at 16, Shiva embraces him. And he tells Markandeya, there has never been, there will never be a devotee like you. When death confronted you, through the power of Mahamrityunjaya Mantra, you overcame the fear of death. And in that instant, in that instant, time stood still. So from this point on, time will never move for you. You will be forever 16 years old for as long as creation lasts. Markandeya, you have now become an immortal, Shiva says. And he looks at Yama and he says, hear this, the immutable loss of karma will mean that you will take the life of every mortal except my devotees who with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul and with all their strength desire only me. Those souls your noose of time is not allowed to touch. And Shiva disappears. And so ends the story of Bhakta Markandeya. Bhakta, Shiva Bhakta Markandeya, meaning Shiva's devotee, Markandeya, who penetrated the meaning of the Mahamrityunjaya Mantra and uplifted his consciousness from his body and for whom time stood still and he became an immortal. Now as you go home tonight, as you lie in bed, listen carefully. Markandeya is an immortal. He's still around us. You might perhaps hear Om Namah Shivaya somewhere. That's Markandeya chanting. He continues to chant. You might hear that. Chant if you will, Om Namah Shivaya, and declare Lord, I am thine. I am thine, I am thine, Lord. Be thou mine, because, Lord, I am thine. Declare that. And may the blessings of Shiva be upon all of us. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti.